All right, hour number two of The Rush. I was in there explaining to Drake Dyken some of the Disney World stuff we went through. You ready to get into a little Disney World Hey, let's dive right in. Again, I've never done either Disneyland or Disney World, so this is completely foreign to me. Okay. I am entering this with no presuppositions or expectations. Here's the thing. I, I have to start off by saying this. We went for my son, who's seven, and he loved it. He, As he, a seven-year-old does. He was amazing the whole time. Long lines, in the heat. Um, you know, we had to spend 24 hours in an airport, and he never complained one time. He was happy-go-lucky the, the entire trip. So that really made things good for me had he started complaining at any point i you this thing would have come off the rails buddy so here's the thing i know that we get the inflation pounded into our head every single day right inflation 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 and i know that that's going on but that doesn't make any of this right you cannot convince me that some of the things that happened on this trip are inflation driven. I'll give Such you an as. example. So the way we did, and I will say right right away, there's cheaper ways to do this trip than than the way we did it. Okay, we stayed on the resort, right? And they have a bunch of different hotels you can stay in. We stayed on the resort. It's more expensive to do that, but. Um, it's easier to do that. We, my wife went through a trip planner, like Disney has these trip planners, people that do these, they set up your trip for you, which was great. You know, we had this like list of itinerary every single day, but we had lunch reservations every day. So we'd get to the park early, we'd hit some rides and around noon we'd go to lunch. Parker. A lunch for myself, my wife, and my son. And this consists of a hamburger for me, chicken nuggets for my wife, maybe the kids' nuggets for my son, or buttered noodles if they would make that. <laughs> how much you think how much you think that would cost? And, oh, a Disney? Yeah. And drinks. And I'm not talking about beers and sure, cocktails. Sure. I'm talking about a Dr. Pepper, a Coke, and a water. No, I, I know how those things go when you're at those theme park type of environments. I bet you spent north of 50 bucks. $250. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold $250. $250. $250. So I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to process yeah, that. Yeah, I bet you are. So was I. How much does a single item cost? Like, you said you got a burger. How much did the burger alone cost? $55. Goodness gracious. Nuggets? $55. Buttered noodles? $55. And then they charge you for your drinks. So whatever drinks you have. Right? And then they hit you with the, you know, and I've got no problem paying a, 
uh, a tip, but they hit you with the mandatory tip on there, and obviously your tax. And you're talking about getting, and if someone has like a dessert or something like that, you're talking about you're well over 200 bucks. Wow. Yeah. So yes. is this is this basically the type of deal where they get you in the park and now they can just charge you whatever you want because you have no alternative? Well, see now here's the thing. Like I said, these were these are like restaurants that are in the park, but you could easily you could easily um, just stop at one of like the like the little kiosks or whatever that have like food or whatever and and be able to eat that way. But to be able to go in, get in the air conditioning, sit down for a little while, and get out of the heat and have a meal, they're going to bang you over the head. 250 bucks. All right, so there were six of us. We routinely had lunches that were well over $500 for six people. So that really got under my skin. That and, probably cost more than the travel, didn't it? Was just eating. Oh, it probably would have cost more than the travel had Southwest not canceled our flight on the way home. And I had to, uh, if we wanted to get home, I, if I would have known that we weren't going to get home anyways, and my wife, you know, she's the one that, bless her for doing all of this, but she was constantly, which by the way, Back to Disney World. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll get to the we'll get to the flight situation later. If you go to Disney, so Disney has I think there's three or four parks. You've got Hollywood Studios. You've got Epcot. You've got um, what is it, Adventureland or something like that? It's I'm not sure exactly what it's called. Um, and each park really. Only has four rides. There's about four rides there. Okay. And there's probably 25 or 30,000 people in each park. And this is just a wild guess by me, but judging on how gigantic the parks are and how every inch of every portion of the park is totally occupied by a person, there's got to be well over 20,000 people in there. So you essentially have, 20 to 30,000 people going to four rides. And if you don't do like the genie pass and the lightning pass, which is like hundreds of dollars as well, isn't it? I I don't know. It came with the package that we had. Okay. Got you. So if you didn't have that, you're going to stand in line for two and a half hours to hit one of these rides. And like I said, there's only four or five rides. So everything else is filler. Like you can go into a shop and wow, you can buy, you know, a million different things in a million different shops and walk through and look at some pictures. But the real meat and potatoes is about four or five rides in, in each park. And I, I just, I don't, I don't understand how people can afford it. I don't understand how people can afford to do this. And like I said, it's not counting flights. And, you know, I know that we stayed on the property, but I, I don't know, brother. It's there's some really cool stuff there. But OK, see, this is this is confirming everything that I've previously heard about the Disney experience, because I don't know if it's just me, Teddy. And 
I don't know if it's just me being wired differently than other people, but the stories that I've heard in this vein from Disneyland slash Disney World leave me all the more convinced that I just never want to do that. Yeah. Like, no part of me wants to do that experience, both for the sake of saving money and for the sake of not having to wait in line for hours and hours outdoors. Waiting so, in line is the – and they do have some – like they do good with the lines because a lot of it ends up indoors and, you know, there's – but whatever. The standing in line is the worst part of the whole thing. But if you like rides, if you like roller coasters, Disney World is the worst amusement park to go to. <laughs> it is the worst. Every Six Flags I've ever been to is a thousand times better ride-wise than Disney World. They've got some cool stuff that is like in 3D where they spent millions and millions of dollars making it really cool in 3D. But those just make me nauseous. My son liked them. and They were fine. They were cool. But I'm old school. Throw me on a, a roller coaster and, and that's what I like. But the whole thing is it's just insane how expensive it is. Okay. Insane. I, I want to get to the flight situation here in a second because I'm particularly curious about that. But first, uh, the Air Comfort Solutions sex line is weighing in. Uh, <laughs> Teddy, there's inflation, then there's Disney inflation, not on the same scale. You might as well double the price. Yeah, here's the thing. And, you know, I, had, I, was, I was complaining about this to a friend, and, and they said, well, geez, I guess they're just trying to make some money back after the, the COVID situation. And I'm thinking, you may be right, but it's a horrible way to do it because guess what? This guy is never, ever, ever going back. Not a repeat customer. So, I don't know about that. Back to the text line. Teddy's going to have to watch how he speaks about his Disney experience. OU's got that ESPN Plus deal. We're in the mouse's house now, baby. Yeah, right. I could work for ESPN Plus for the next decade, and I think maybe I'd get one lightning pass. All right? So, not worried about that at all. Well, Teddy just confirmed I'm never going to Disney World. <laughs> Obviously can't say it on the air, but WTF. Uh, somebody said, we stayed a week at the Polynesian and spent over $10,000. There's no doubt. $10,000. Now, there's only three of us. Me, my wife, my son. Okay. Um, I think, if, especially if you've got two, three kids... And if you're you're counting everything included, flights and everything all in on the trip, it's a ten thousand dollar vacation. And that's, that's an astronomical w- amount of money. That's worth, in my opinion, twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, okay, so if you take inflation, you take regular inflation, and you tack on Disney inflation. Yeah, that price, that, that, the numbers about add up. Uh, if you tech- like, I saw that if you like roller coasters, go to Universal. Hundred percent agree. Not even close. Disney is, uh, and there's some really cool things. Like the parks are amazing. How they're constructed, like they're they're beautiful. Like the Star Wars portion of, uh, I think it's in Hollywood. Is it's unreal the detail and how cool it is. But that doesn't matter to me. I I can walk through it and say, wow, that's really cool, but I don't want to stand in line for two and a half hours to, to go get on a 
you know, do a 3D ride that takes two and a half minutes. So, I, <laughs> the text line says you should see it at Christmas, double the price. Uh, Disney's a vacation for the kids and a butt whipping of a trip for the parents. Boy, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Uh, I have a 10 and seven year old Teddy just saved me thousands of dollars. I'll stick to Branson and silver dollar city. Do Here's what I would do. If I were you last year, we went to San Antonio in August and they start school earlier down there and they had all gone back to school. So we went to six flags, sea world and Schlitterbahn in three days, hit them all and didn't hardly have to stand in line at all. Got to ride some awesome roller coasters. That's the way to do it. No doubt about it. This is terrible. We went to Disney in 2016, but had to wait for my parent to pass and get the inheritance to afford it. <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt. And, uh, someone I saw up there wanted a Garden Guardians of the Galaxy review. Great ride. Awesome, awesome ride. Now, here's the thing about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's brand new. They just opened it. You cannot do... They don't have, like, the lightning pass for it, and they don't even have, like, a standby line. You have to go into a virtual queue in order to even get in line, and somehow we were able to do it early one day and got in there and rode it pretty quick. By the time we were done riding it, it, I think it was like a a four-and-a-half-hour wait to ride Guardians of the Galaxy. And at that point... It's half of your day in the park. There are very few things that I will wait four and a half hours in line for. There's nothing I'll wait four and a half hours (laughs) in line for, especially in the heat in Orlando. But the ride was awesome because it's an actual roller coaster. It's not one of the – it's almost like a roller coaster and a 3D deal kind of merge, but you don't have to put the glasses in on. I would rate it – the rock and roller coaster, the Aerosmith is my opinion was the best roller coaster. Guardians of the Galaxy was number two. Then they had like this one is like the a Yeti something. I don't know. I would rate that number three. Um, I would rate the Avatar ride number four, and then the Tower of Terror number five. And that's this is in like this is in all three different parks, and that's that's five rides. That basically sums up the best rides at Disney World. And there's like five. Uh, if you want to count some of the 3D stuff, which I don't like, it makes me nauseous, but sure, it's brutal. So let's add on after that uh, fiscal beatdown by Disney. <laughs> we wake up. We're suppo- Our flight leaves at, I think, 1 a.m. or uh, 1 p.m. And... My sister, her family was there. They were supposed to leave at 11. Well, they get up early. Their flight's canceled. So, oh, dang, ours is still on time. Brutal. So they had to, like, they had to re rebook their flight, go different route, whatever, but they got on the flight. Well, we go to the airport with them, and lo and behold, our flight's canceled. Not weather-related. Nothing. There's... No explanation. Orlando, Orlando, Tampa, and Miami airports canceled like 40 flights. Is the number like this? Where basically all the flights were canceled in the U.S. 
No reason given, nothing at all, probably a pilot shortage or something like that. So we had to like try and rebook and Southwest had nothing because they pretty much canceled everything out of Orlando and we had to rebook with United. So fine, no big deal, 1500 bucks, uh, whatever. It's just at this point, who cares anymore? So after we book, spend our $1,500, flight's delayed. And then it's delayed again. And then it's delayed again. So now we've been sitting in the Orlando airport all day. Flight finally leaves. Get to Houston. We get there 10 minutes before our connection. We sprint across the um, airport. And there's the plane. The plane's sitting right there. I can see it. The jetway's still connected to it. And I'm like waving at the pilots. They can see me. I'm like, open the door. We're here. I know they told you that you knew that our flight was landing. Right? You could have waited. But no, it's closed. Can't get on it. Too bad. So they're supposed to put us on another flight later that night. Well, they lied to us. They don't put us on it. It's actually, it's a full flight. And they just put us on standby. So we wait in the airport all day to find out that we're not on the flight and have to stay overnight in Houston, which is fine. It's just another $300 to stay, to get in a hotel in Houston. No big deal. But while we're waiting to get on the flight that we think we're going to be on that night, we stop in and eat some dinner. I get tacos. I order the tacos. My wife orders the chips and queso. My son gets those the charo things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Dr. Pepper. My wife has a Coke. My son has a lemonade. $85. $85 for tacos, queso, churros, and drinks. At this point, I'm ready to fight someone. Am I missing something here? No, you're not. Okay. That's like, that's gouging, isn't it? Yes. Like, there's no way. Yes. And okay. I don't know how helpful this is right now or after the fact. I don't know what can be done, but let me tell you, I'm from the generation that reads the fine print in airline contracts of carriage mm-hmm. and then gives you all the details on how much compensation you're entitled to on right. Instagram reels. Mm-hmm. You're entitled to a ridiculous amount of compensation as far as the airline goes. They told us, and I'm sure this is just another, add this to the list of scams run, right? They told us that, well, since our flight was canceled through Southwest, we just get a credit for another flight to be used at some other point. But, you know, we couldn't use it then because they didn't have any flights that day. But United told us that, well, since it was delayed because of weather and we missed our connection, then um, they don't offer anything out, anything for like a air, uh, a hotel or whatever. So I'm just I, I'm beyond frustrated. And here's another thing that I'm going to say. Okay. If one more damn person lays a receipt down in front of me that has a tip line on it when they didn't do anything. <laughs> To earn a tip, 
I think I'm just going to start wadding it up and throwing it back at people and saying, just give me the regular receipt. You know what I'm saying? And that's another thing. Back to the Disney real quick. The service was great. Smiles, happy. Everything was good. But they hit you with the automatic 20% gratuity, right? I think uh-huh. it's actually 18. But they all, like, fold the receipt to try and hide that it's been hit, then already put in there. And it still has a tip line. If you're going to hit me with the automatic 18%, stop putting the tip line on there. You know what I'm saying? It's a scam. No, it is. And especially if the employee, if you're just, if it's just like a walk-up counter and they're just like taking your order, right? I shouldn't have to tip that person. Right. <laughs> right. And so generally what I'll do is I'll just, I'll fill in whatever on the tip line totals out to the nearest dollar amount. That's what I'll do. Yeah. Like I remember I was at a barbecue restaurant one time and this happened to me. Somebody working the counter handed me the receipt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're and standing right there. You're shamed into feeling exactly. like you have to do something but on the tip line. This one evens out to an even dollar amount. My order comes out to an even dollar amount, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't put anything on the tip line and I give the employee back the receipt and they're like, uh, no tip? Like, no, no tip. What did That's you right. do? That's right. The word is out. I'm going to start throwing the receipt back at people whenever they do that to me. If you didn't, if you are not uh, like a server, a waiter, a waitress, like you didn't do anything, like this, this place that I had the tacos, you order it yourself, you do everything right there at your, at your whole, whole deal. Oh man, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't, I'm a consumer. I understand that. That's what moves the needle here. That's what pushes our economy forward. Well, I'm telling you what, this consumer is tapped out. This consumer is done. I'm not spending another damn dime on anything that I don't absolutely have to have to live. It's over. Over. Not, I am not engaged in the economy anymore. All right. Quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on. Keep the text line coming. 651-3439. Come for the sports talk. Stay for Teddy Lehman declaring <laughs> war on consumerism. <laughs> we have gotten so many texts since the conclusion of that last segment. Basically conveying one message. Preach, Teddy. I'm telling you, I'm done. I'm not spending, I'm not spending another dime of money on anything. I got it on the text line. I got it on my personal phone. <laughs> Everybody is chiming in. With their thoughts on just how spot on that that last segment was, uh, some excerpts from the text line. Preach, Teddy! Great segment. <laughs> One trip to Disney and Teddy's joined in on all the anti-consumerism Twitter threads. <laughs> Disney Disney must be some kind of time warp. Teddy sounds like he aged about forty years in one week. Yeah, well, true. Teddy converting to minimalism wasn't something I had on my Monday K Ref Bingo card. I'm I'm not converting i've been forced okay <laughs> i've been forced to minimalism been indoctrinated and my personal favorite be honest teddy you ate 22 tacos and had a sixer not bad for 85 dollars uh, i planned on eating 22 tacos <laughs> and having a sixer but that's just not my budget these <laughs> how days how much do you think would you have spent if that's what you'd done uh, well judging by i i mean the three tacos must have been 
30 bucks. I don't know. I, uh, it would have been unbelievable. I don't know. I think Disney stock just took another hit after Teddy's review. <laughs> uh, hey, and that's the amazing thing to me. There's 30,000 people in every park. It's just crammed full. Somehow we've been convinced that this is normal to go stand in these ridiculous lines all day long to ride two or three rides. I saw, I felt so bad. I saw a group of teenage kids and they all had the same t-shirts on. It looked like maybe they were from a high school They had a couple of chaperones there and I heard that we were waiting for Runaway Railway, which is, it's a fine ride, but it's for my seven-year-old. You're on like a little, I don't know. It's, it's a little kid's ride. And these teenagers were on it. And the lady came over and was like, hey, after we do this, we're going to go ride the rock and roller coaster, which is an awesome roller coaster. But they didn't have the lightning pass. And you can only use like two lightning pass. Like you, you can only use a lightning pass like every two hours you can re-sign up and then it'll give you a time later in the day. It's totally, it's impossible to understand. But they didn't have any of that stuff. We stood in line for that runaway railway for probably an hour and 20 minutes. And rode that, and they were about to go do the standby line for the rock and roller coaster, and it was going to be every bit of two and a half hours. So they rode one god-awful little kid's ride, and then they're going to go ride one cool roller coaster, and that's going to be well over four hours of their day is going to be standing in line for two rides that are about the rock and roller coasters probably 90 seconds. And the runaway railway is probably three minutes. How is this normal? And how are we all doing it? Why are we all doing it? It's ridiculous. Now, I'll say this, Teddy. And this may be an unpopular opinion. This mm -hmm. is just the way I am wired. If I'm going on a vacation, if I'm doing a getaway, I want to actually get away. I don't yeah. want to go where there are tens of thousands of other people. Amen. You know what the, my favorite vacation I've ever taken was? Kalispell, Montana. It that is sounds gorgeous up there. Just spent like a week hiking and picking wild raspberries, which are delicious, by the way, and just enjoying beautiful scenery the, and elk burgers. The one thing, and here's the other thing that really pisses me off whenever I'm on vacation, and Disney makes it to where it's a necessity. Whenever I got there, buddy... My phone went in the safe in the room, and I didn't look at it the entire time. I would look in the evenings. I would listen to some music um, after we were done watching the games as everyone was laying in bed. Only time that I brought my phone out. Every, like Everyone else is required to be on their phone the entire time on the Disney app to make sure you can get in line and get on your ride and have everything set up. It's horrible. It's a horrible way to live. By the way, bit of breaking news here. Live on the rush, we're giving you the scoop. Oh, you just picked up a commitment 
from one of my fellow Nebraska countrymen. How about that? Three-star athlete Cade McIntyre out of Fremont, Nebraska, who was on an official visit last week, came back from Iowa. He Basically, he went to Oklahoma, then went straight to Iowa afterwards, had visits on the schedule to Minnesota and Kansas State, but pretty much just decided to shut it down. He is going to be an Oklahoma Sooner. Love to see it. 402 repping. That's awesome. That's that's back-to-back commits in two consecutive classes for Oklahoma after they hadn't rostered a player from my homeland since 1973. And I'm looking over here on his – I guess it's his his profile on Twitter. And 6'4", 200 pounds, 4'5", 40 kid. Uh, he's a w- football wide receiver listed as uh, – he does track as well. He's got some – Bench and squat numbers on there. If he's six four, two hundred pounds, and runs a four or five, like sometimes, well, not sometimes. Usually those numbers aren't legit. But if they are, buddy, that's that's the type of guy they're looking for. And he's a baller, that's certified baller, can play both sides of the ball. He's the only guy that I know of thus far in this class that Oklahoma has offered as a pure athlete. Basically, we don't care what side of the ball you play. You just show up here, and we'll figure it out. That's awesome. Length, man, that's the thing they continue to do is get bigger and bigger and bigger. Whether I, For this kid, whether he's playing wide receiver or if he's a defensive back or converted edge guy or, or whatever it is that he may be, I, we've got a long list of great receivers. We don't have a long list of great receivers that are over six foot one. You know, it's, it's something that we just haven't had, and that – and I'm not saying that you have to be way bigger, way taller, but it's something that they're striving for. They're trying to get bigger across the board, and um, it's gonna, it's, it shows. It really does. My guess is, um, you know, he probably wants to play wide receiver. He's going to he, end up at tight end, I believe. I think he's going to end up on defense. Really? Yeah. And I don't know anything about him. <laughs> I don't know See, anything I, I, about him. I would agree with you if not for the fact that Oklahoma's trending heavily for like seven or eight other linebackers in this class. So they're going to have a log jam at that position. Yeah, I th- my guess is is more safety. You but, think so? But I I don't even I'm just looking at the 64 200 and he's listed as an athlete. He's 45. If he's 64 200 and runs 45, that is that's got like breakout safety written all over it or you know like one of the hybrid edge guys but I've, I've never seen him play don't know anything about him um and I know they are definitely trying to get bigger at wide receiver but here's the thing man if you're 6'4 200 and like he's not even into his senior year of high school yet by the time like three years down the road Whenever he's going into his sophomore year, right, he's going to be every bit of probably 230 pounds, 6'4", 230. They're, they're being 6'4", 230-pound wide receivers. Well, they're out there, but they're very few and far between. That type of body ends up on defense, you know? So, But we'll see. I like it, though. I like that they're getting more length, more athleticism, and – not afraid of what the stars are saying about the kids at this point, right? I think that's critical. 
Yes, indeed. And again, this he's going to be intriguing to watch as he develops because he's done so much playing small school football in Nebraska. He actually plays in the same conference that I played in back in the day, Class C2 in Nebraska, which I'm pretty sure is the lowest 11-man really? classification. So wow. it's been a long, long time since Class C2 in Nebraska produced a talent like him. Uh, but as he develops and uh, as his senior year unfolds and we start to get an idea of how he's going to fill out physically and which side of the ball he'll develop more of a propensity to play, uh, this uh, this is a kid that will be intriguing as a developmental project going forward for OU. That's interesting. I, I, I like the route that they've gone. They are not afraid of the smaller town, off the beaten path, kids that are out there uh, we saw the the kid out of McAllister right out of the gate I mean almost instantly whenever they showed up they had an offer sent his way and you know and obviously since that you know he's he's really grown and uh in notoriety and got more people behind him but I think you're going to continue to see stuff like that all right we're late for a timeout quick break more from the rush coming up keep them coming on the text line air comfort solutions text line 651-3439 Rush is back. Quick segment here. Got a couple of quick, uh, quick segments as we head to the top of the hour. Um, have we got a? We're supposed to get a time on the Texas A&M baseball game. Has that come out yet today? No, it has not, and I don't think it will until tomorrow or at the very earliest late tonight once the full field is set. Because gotcha, we still have two game threes being played tonight between Stanford and UConn and between Oregon State and Auburn for the final two tickets to Omaha. So you got six of eight teams locked into the field, got a couple that still hang in the balance tonight. What do you think about the chances? For Oklahoma? Yeah. Man, I think you got to like this team right now. Yeah. As much as anybody in Omaha, because, look, the clear favorite is out of the way, and we talked about that at the top of the show. People nationally were handing the title to Tennessee as recently as a week ago. With Tennessee out of the picture – and Virginia Tech out of the picture, which was the number four team in the mm-hmm. nation. Uh, Stanford is the number two team. So in terms of regular season resume, they're probably the one squad uh, that has the most skins on the wall at this point in time. But UConn's given them a heck of a fight. And if the Huskies can come out victorious today and you get Stanford bounced as well, I don't know if there is an odds-on favorite crazy. heading into Omaha. That'd be crazy. One and two bounced. Wow. That would be awesome, and I know that'd be a welcome sight. But, you know, that that makes you feel good and feel like your chances are better, but that also means that everyone else going up there is going to be feeling the same way, confident, feeling like they got a great shot, not just showing up to, uh, to go through the paces. But I don't know. I like it. They're hot right now, and A&M's hot too. That's going to be a really, really interesting first game. Yes, it will. And partic- you, you know there's going to be a little bit of a subplot there oh, between the always. fan bases because always. OU and A&M, especially with the, um, with the respective directions of both athletic departments right now, A&M playing the NIL game heavy and OU playing resistance in that regard, there's been a lot of tension between those two fan bases over the last couple of months. So with them matching up in Omaha, uh, there will be a little bit of vitriol. In There's Omaha tension. A and M has tension pretty much with everyone okay, in the country. Okay, that's fair. Did you see that they wanted Saban punished for his his comments? Punished? Did he say something that was off base? No, he didn't even mention Jimbo Fisher by name. 
Right. And he didn't say anything that anybody else hadn't already said. Right. Nope. I, <laughs> yeah, if you if you punish Saban, you're going to have to punish pretty much everyone else in college football. All right, quick timeout. More from The Rush coming up. We'll come back and wrap up our number two next. Ah, that's cool stuff by T-Row there. A lot of fun uh, going back through those plays. And that catch by Kendall Pettis going into the bullpen, how awesome was that? Dude's been amazing. Then had another diving catch later. Kendall Pettis is having himself a postseason. He is, man. And we talked about it earlier, but there's there's always that guy, right? And it's not just exclusive to the sport of baseball. You think about what – Kenzie Donahue did for the softball team yeah. down the stretch last year. Uh, there's always that one player where you, you you don't always you don't necessarily regard them as a star, but when the bright lights come on, they find their best ball, and that's what Kendall Pettis has done for Oklahoma. That's what he's been for Oklahoma thus far throughout regionals and supers, and it never hurts to have a guy like that getting hot as you close in on Omaha. There's no doubt. You're right. There, there's, and, and it's it, this has happened late with uh, with Kendall Pettison. It, not that he was uh, not really good all season, but um, he's been spectacular here recently. But that has to happen if you're going to go chase down a championship, and you know we've we've seen it in football as well. And my guess is someone from this roster right now is going to emerge next fall, later half of the season, whether it's one of the young running backs, um, one of the young wide receivers, maybe maybe, um, maybe stripling. Are you drinking the Javante Barnes Kool-Aid? I've got Toby on my agenda. He, he looks really good. Yeah? He looks really good. I think that there's going to be a uh I think there's going to be a learning curve. The young guys tend to look really good early and fade throughout the summer and throughout training camp. I the first my guess is the first week of training camp, oh my god, Javante Barnes looks amazing. And then it's just going to start to slowly fade at that point. Because there becomes more and more thrown at these guys, more and more physicality. Spring is easy, man. You have a practice, you have a full day off, and then you have another practice. That doesn't happen in training camp. Install all day long, practice, same thing the next day, walkthroughs. It's just piled on, and... Those guys typically grind to a halt early on. And then once the season rolls back around, they start to kind of build themselves back up. An injury, an opportunity late in the game, you show out, you start to get a little bit more run and practice. And the next thing you know, if you make the best of those opportunities, you can be a contributor. And running back is one of those spots where it tends to be a lot less mentally than – 
most of the other positions on the field, and you can have young guys show up at running back and be a factor. I think physically he's got all the tools. He could be one of those guys for sure. You look at the Sooners' backfield situation as a whole too. Eric Gray is, I guess, the guy that you would regard as the incumbent. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was sporadically productive a year ago. Kennedy Brooks was obviously your meal ticket. Uh, The big question mark is Marcus Major. Yeah. At what point do the Sooners milk something, anything, out of Marcus Major? Yeah. I – is it bad that I'm not totally sold on Eric Gray yet? No, I and I would agree with you, actually. I mean, everything, the reviews have been great through spring ball. And we saw him come on and, and really, in the Florida game, or not Florida, the Oregon game at the end of the season, we kind of saw like what he has to offer. And if they can get more games like that out of him, he could have a really nice season. But still just a little hesitant. We'll see, though. We'll see. All right, quick timeout. More from the Rush coming up. We've got hour number three next. Rush is back. Hour number three, Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune sitting in for Tyler McComas out on vacation, probably emptying his uh, bank account as well. Uh, But it's going to be me and you all week. It's going to be a fun week. Um, Be doing four hours every day, two to six. So it's going to be a little bit of a throwback. Um, Let's talk a little Lincoln Riley, shall we? Oh, this will be fun. I saw that while I was gone, Lincoln Riley sat down for another interview, which he's been doing a lot of those recently. Didn't hardly ever do any at Oklahoma, but um, he's he's getting in front of the TV cameras and microphone quite a bit out there at Southern Cal. Um, You know, one of the interesting things that he talked about because there's this narrative out there with Oregon, right? Lanning as the head coach, uh, Tosh Lapoe as the defensive coordinator, SEC guys. Their big push is, you know, they're taking the SEC to the West Coast. Like, that's the style. That's the attitude. That's how they're carrying themselves. You know, they're banging up against USC on a lot of the recruiting trails out there for the big, big-time players, big-time recruits, and – Oregon's line right now is you don't want to go play for Lincoln Riley. He he was running from the SEC. When Oklahoma announced they were going to the SEC, he, he took the first thing smoking out of town. And he's now had to come on and defend himself. I wasn't running from the SEC. I was running to USC. And you know, like, he really thought he did something with that statement. Oh, yeah. He was he was in his office crafting that one. Kind of like when he said, we didn't take players from OU, we took players from the transfer portal. He's like, oh, man, this is going to bring the house down. This is my this it. is my mic drop right here. This is it. Um, that is, in my opinion, that is an answer to how he's being recruited against. Right, and he's trying to get that narrative out there and kill it. But what happens is whenever you go out there and repeat it, and I know you put this new little, I wasn't running from the SEC, I was running to the USC. Well, now you just implant it in everyone's head and they think, well, yeah, it's probably true. 
So I don't know that it, it's going to have the effect necessarily that he wanted. But what was most interesting was, you know, he was talking about USC and, you know, trying to to talk about how, how good of a roster that he's going to be able to build out there. I don't think anywhere is positioned like USC is to build an elite roster, is what he said. Um, you have so many different routes to capitalize off of NIL out here in L.A. This isn't just like a small car dealership in a small market town. You're talking about doing deals with major, major entities. And I think those things are true. But it's the comments about his rosters at Oklahoma. Quote, I've walked into four playoffs and I've never had better than maybe the third best roster. Every other year, we were four of four. We had really good rosters, but they weren't the same. I can't imagine that there could be a better setting that we could build a better roster than we can here. So he takes some shots at OU's roster there. Um, I think that it's probably true about where the roster's ranked. The only exception is probably 2017. When you could argue they had the best roster in the country. Like, there's a legitimate argument to be made there. Especially offensively. Mm -hmm. Their offensive roster, O-line, skill position guys, quarterback obviously was unreal. Um, Third best, I don't know. But that really number one it should go that's not something that you should necessarily say as a head coach and I know he's trying to frame it as USC can build that type of elite roster but basically what you're saying is well what are we getting then with Lincoln Riley as head coach I mean because I, or do we legitimately believe that we're ever going to have a better roster than Alabama or Georgia or Clemson? I, if your answer to that is no, we're starting from too far behind and it's going to be a long time of playing catch-up to ever get there, well, you're saying that, and Lincoln is saying that he can't do it if he doesn't have the best roster. That I don't I don't think that's framed very good. Am I seeing it wrong? No, you're not seeing it wrong, Teddy, and I'm with you because it if I'm USC's athletic director, I have to be looking over those comments and getting a little bit of a squeamish feeling Sorry. about hiring Lincoln Riley because look well, what th- if th- we don't have the best roster? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's where coaching comes in, Teddy. Development. Development. Because guess what? In today's day and age, You will never build a roster that has more outright talent than Alabama. They evaluate better than anyone else. They develop better than anyone else. They unlock potential in players better than anyone else. If you want to win a national championship in the era of Nick Saban, you know what you have to have is great coaching. And you know who's had that in recent years? Clemson. That's why they beat Alabama twice in the national title. With not as good of a roster. No, certainly not as good of a roster. Think about LSU in 2019. Did they catch lightning in a bottle in terms of personnel? Yes, to an extent. But also, 
They were able to run roughshod over the SEC and the entirety of mm-hmm. college football in large part because of outstanding coaching, particularly on the offensive side. When you think about all the teams over the years that have been able to dethrone Alabama, there's a common denominator, and it's not an astronomical, out-of-this-world amount of talent. Because, like I said, you can't build an Alabama roster. You're not going to out-roster Alabama. No. At least not – it's going to take five years starting right now to be number one in recruiting, to out-roster Alabama, and that's going to be very, very difficult to do. And how do you think you're going to do that in the Pac-12? That is my biggest question. It's going to be hard. If you couldn't do it in the Big 12 at Oklahoma, what makes you believe that you can do it in the Pac-12 at USC? Because I'll tell you what California has, Teddy. California has a lot of really good skill position players. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you think about Lincoln Riley's teams in recent years, one thing that they have not lacked is capable skill position players. The one thing they have lacked is elite play in the trenches. And so it's almost as if Lincoln Riley is catering to his own Achilles heel Yeah, to a no, certain I, extent. I agree. And I think that – I think Lincoln Riley is – He's a really, really good coach. I think he's an excellent offensive mind. I think there's there's some things that he does that are, are outstanding. Um, but I think that Lincoln's biggest shortcoming as a head coach is emphasis on culture and development. And I just – I don't think – I don't think you can piece together. I I think the way that he's kind of built his roster this year and where he is highlights his flaws instead of hides his flaws. When you bring in a bunch of, of transfers from all over the place and there's no culture intact, you mix that with a couple of big profile guys that are, you know, getting a lot of attention and get treated differently than the rest of the team. That turns into a toxic locker room. And I feel like, like right now, it's probably not going to look that way because everything's new and there's everyone's trying to really make things gel and and appear happy, and appear that they love the way everything's going. But you take that first loss, or that second loss, and that's whenever the things start to fracture, and that's where the culture has to really hold you up. And I think think that's, that's, that's the thing that he's gonna really run up against out there. You know, and he was starting to here. Like that, I think that's what was holding these teams back here. Development's got to be critical, and that is why I don't know roster-wise, star-wise, talent-wise, what Oklahoma's roster is going to look like. Like Venable's first couple of rosters are going to look like compared to Lincoln Riley's last couple of rosters. I don't know what the difference is going to be. But I totally expect the same caliber of guys, like the same level of talent players, 
are going to be way better football players under Brent Venables than they were under Lincoln Riley. I believe that because of culture and development and emphasis on all the details, the offseason, absolutely everything that they do. I, I totally believe that. I, the same guys that we've seen over the last couple of years under Lincoln Riley that were just – you know, role players, guys that, you know, you, you didn't expect a whole lot from. You had your superstars, right? You had your your skill talent, which he's going to have out there at USC. But, like, the meat and potatoes of the roster, I think that group is going to level up massively. O-line, D-line, backers, like your tight end group, your your special teams players, I think the rest of those guys are going to be playing at a much higher level, which I think is going to give you a, a much wider margin for error because they didn't have any margin for error over Lincoln's last two years. Let me, let me take a different angle here, Teddy, mm-hmm. and I want to pose this question to you, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. How successful can a team realistically be playing Lincoln Riley's style of football because we must keep in mind that as a coach, Lincoln Riley was raised in the Mike Leach discipline. How many of Leach's disciples have ever been able to get through the ceiling? Because there seems to be a ceiling. Leach's ceiling was that 2018 at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. For Cliff Kingsbury, <laughs> the ceiling was getting the Arizona Cardinals job. For Riley, the ceiling has always been getting to the college football playoff and then bowing out in rather unceremonious fashion. How successful can you realistically be playing that style of football, especially in the Pac-12? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a fantastic question. I, I think that one of Mike Leach's, one of the things that makes him so entertaining and, and, and interesting to follow is that he says, well, it doesn't matter. They can't stop us. And a lot of the times he's right. Like last year, they didn't have the, the best offense in the country, but their quarterback threw for like 5,000 yards. Uh, and and they they do put up points and they put up yards and they move the football, but the problem is, it does matter, even if they can't stop you. Everything else does matter, and unfortunately for Leach, while I'm a huge Leach fan, that's why he's always been a a Tech, a Washington State, a Mississippi State a middle or lower tier power five conference coach is because it all matters. That's what you hear Venables say. Every single thing matters. How you do anything is how you do everything. And if you're not the best at all of it, it's going to get exposed. And I, I have the feeling that Lincoln Riley, he's not as, uh, He's not as forthcoming with with the it doesn't matter, you can't stop us, but 
it shows in the style of coaching and the culture and the emphasis on on different things. Like he picks his his handful of things that he emphasizes, and everything else is yeah just filler. And that is not how a championship program is run. And I think that's one of the other shortcomings from him. I mean, you look at let's see is coach O the no was he on the USC staff when they won it in 04 yes he was okay so you can mark him off off the list what I was going to say is I think pretty much every head coach that's won a championship won a championship as a coordinator somewhere else Nick Saban may be the only guy that's not on that list. Jimbo Fisher is on that list. Um, I guess Dabo. Is Dabo not on that list? Yeah, Dabo wouldn't be on that but list. But no. did he win one as a player at Alabama in the early 90s? Did he? I just Offhand, I don't think so. I could be wrong. Championship experience is, in my opinion, critical to how you shape your program. And Lincoln Riley has never had the championship experience. He was at Tech, then he was briefly at East Carolina, and then he was at Oklahoma. And then and then got the job as a head coach. With and you know, and it happened pretty quick. What? He was here 15, 16 and got the head coaching job in 17. Like he did he he doesn't have a championship pedigree as a coach. And I think I think that holds him back on realizing what actually does matter. But we'll see. I still believe that he's going to elevate USC a lot, but elevate them to where they have a better roster than Alabama? I don't know about that. By the way, text line does say Dabble was on the 92 Alabama Natty team, so you were correct there. Yeah. Championship pedigree is extremely important in my opinion. I, mean, I think there's a reason why you see, like, uh, and a lot of them are Saban guys that were under Saban that try and take a lot of the things that he does. I mean, Lanning, as by way of Kirby Smart, taking a lot of those things out to Oregon. Um, you know, the stuff that I'm hearing about Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, he's taking the model that Nick Saban has taken. To Alabama. Brian Kelly is doing different things than he did at Notre Dame. He's doing a lot of the same things that Nick Saban has done at Alabama. Dabo. Venables here at Oklahoma. A lot of people are trying to replicate that. Why? Because it wins championships. So, I don't know. We'll see. Think about the last two head coaches to win a national championship at Oklahoma. Teddy. Barry Switzer and Bob Stoops. Common denominator there. They both won one as a coordinator. Yep. So, more more uh, corroboration to your point there. Did Switzer win one at Arkansas? I was under the impression that he won one at OU. Yeah, I think he did. I'm, all, I'm wondering if he also won one at whenever he was at uh, – because wasn't he at Arkansas before he came to OU? Was he on that He was staff? running backs coach at Arkansas from 61 to 65. And they won it in 64, right? They claim a national title in 1964, yes. Yeah, so there you go. Boom. Yeah. 
and uh, he's the name is ex- escaping me right now, but the head coach there, at Arkansas, uh, during that time is, you know, a lot of people love him and still talk about him to this day. So, all right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number three rolls on. Keep hitting us on the text line six five one three four three nine. A lot of recruiting questions on the Air Comfort Solutions sex line, Teddy. Phenomenal job hitting that Getty Lee bass breakdown. This is a good one. <laughs> you can it. play this? You tell me you can play oh, this? Yeah. Dude, anything Ooh. anything Rush? Gosh, Getty Lee is such a great bassist. Um, but regardless, a lot of recruiting questions. And in case you're just joining us, OU did pick up a commit last hour. Three-star athlete Cade McIntyre. Out of Fremont, Nebraska, locks it in with Oklahoma after an official visit last week. I actually talked to Kate on the phone while we were in a break, and he told me, look, I was ready to commit as soon as I took the visit. We decided to go to Iowa just so I would have something to compare OU to because (laughs) it had been my first official visit. Right. And so he was like, Iowa was amazing. It was fantastic. I do not have a bad word to say about Iowa. But the fact that I took that visit was so blown away by everything at Iowa, all the people, and how fantastic the culture is there, and I still had no desire to be anywhere else but Oklahoma, that sealed the deal for me. So he is locked in with the Sooners. He becomes their sixth commit, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, I I believe that is correct with Ashton Cozart having decommitted, uh, of course, last Quick question. Yes. Uh, Was he a – um, Champu barbecue visit guy? No, he was not. So, the- how did I haven't heard much about that? Really? I was gone. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair. Fair. So, fair. I was gone. And the following week, whenever all the chatter about it was happening, I told you, I, whenever I go on vacation, I do not look at my phone. And hey, listen, more power to you. So, what was what was the response coming out of that thing? Was was it well done? Yeah. So in the aftermath of the Champion Barbecue, heard pretty much one thing from everybody that was in attendance, um, and that was that the Sooner staff hit it out of the park with really their first big official visit weekend of their tenure at Oklahoma. They had twenty eight guys on official visits in a single weekend, which is an astronomical number because right. you also have to take into account this staff was hosting regular unofficial visitors on that weekend. They were in the midst of organizing team camps. They had team camps going on throughout the whole process. And so you add all of that as well as the day-to-day clerical responsibilities of working in a recruiting department to a slew of official visitors. Things could have gotten very hairy there. But for this OU staff, at least from every single one of the prospects that was in attendance that I've talked to, uh, things went swimmingly. OU did pick up – so it's funny. It's funny, Teddy, because of the 28 guys that were there, none have committed yet. But the Sooners have had two commits in the time since. One commit was from four-star wide receiver Keon Brown, who gave his pledge to the Sooners without ever taking an official visit. And the other came from Cade McIntyre, who had previous plans that weekend and was unable to attend the champion barbecue because he just got the offer like two weeks ago. So it is very, very fresh. Uh, but he booked the official visit as quickly as he could, wanted to make it his first by design. Uh, and I think there was kind of a prevailing opinion that McIntyre was going to be ready to shut it down pretty immediately upon arriving at Oklahoma because he comes from a long line of Sooner fans. 
which is interesting for a kid growing up hmm. in small town Nebraska. But it is. Yeah. OUDNA in that family. And so uh, it was not hard to foresee that if that visit went according to plan, uh, he was going to lock it in. Now, new offer just went out a couple of minutes ago, and everybody is hitting the text line to bring it to our attention. Uh, four-star defensive lineman Edric Hill out of North Kansas City finally gets a long-anticipated offer from Oklahoma. And Edric Hill is an interesting case, Teddy, because Oklahoma is very much in the driver's seat to land his teammate, P.J. Adabare, who is a four-star edge rusher and could very well pick up a fifth star by the end of the cycle, one of the best players in the entire country and one of the most physically impressive prospects in the entire country. Is he one of the guy? Is he the guy that – uh, Perry the sales guy knows. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That is the that is the Perry the sales guy connection. Uh, so PJ is very heavily favoring Oklahoma right now. He and his teammate Edric Hill uh, both go to North Kansas City High School. Nice on the Missouri side of KC. And Edric Hill was at OU camping earlier this month. So the first weekend that dudes could take official visits, as a matter of fact, PJ was in town for his official visit at the barbecue while camp was going on. Edric Hill has an offer from Alabama. Excuse Teddy. my He's ignorance got- here, but when you say camping, was he here at football camp or was he in Oklahoma like camping at the lake? No, it's okay. He was he was at the football camp. Okay, that's what I thought. Which is generally <laughs> something that like freshmen and sophomores do to try and get noticed. Right. right? It's, it's exposure more than anything else. For a kid like Edric Hill, who is a four-star and a rising senior, already nationally regarded as a prospect, has offers from Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of taking an official visit the first weekend of June when most guys are taking their first official visit, he's at OU trying to get offered. That's good. And lo and behold, a little over a week later, he does get the offer. And I would think, especially with where OU stands with P.J. Atabare, they immediately become a front runner, if not the front runner, for Edric Hill as well. So uh, those If they are- pulled off that, that little duo right there, that'd be big time, it sounds like. Um, that's awesome. Yes. So Which those... I got to tell you, the renewed emphasis on camps, I think is, it's going to end up paying dividends. Are you going to see an initial response right out of the gate this year? Uh, maybe not, but planting those seeds and having guys come in and being able to evaluate that talent with your own eyes and put them through your drills and not just have to talk to their their coach or their dad about how good they are, to be able to actually work with that talent and evaluate it, that's how you end up getting more hits on the recruiting trail. That's it. I, I love the fact that they're going back and, and reemphasizing camp. Well, and it says something, too. And you've heard Brent Venables talk about it time and time again in press conference. Right? We, we want guys that want to be here. Mm-hmm. And Edric Hill is very evidently a guy that wants to be there. And so, all things considered, he's a pretty natural fit for this OU coaching staff. He's already taken a couple of unofficial visits. The Sooner staff just saw him at camp. Uh, so, yeah, this will be a recruitment that I follow very closely in the coming days because I would expect that he will loop around and take an OV with Oklahoma pretty expediently. 
The OV to Alabama does happen later this month, which is going to be an interesting uh, fly in the ointment for the Sooners' pursuit of Edric Hill. But if he shows up to Alabama, and kind of like Cole Adams did this past weekend, if he shows up to Alabama, doesn't lock it in, and decides, you know what, I I still want to go at least see what OU has to offer, it's a pretty good indication that in his heart of hearts he wants to be at OU. What's your gut tell you on Cole Adams? You he went to Alabama this weekend. Is that what you said? He went to he went to Alabama the first weekend of June. He was at Oklahoma this past weekend. Gotcha, gotcha. I I'm starting to get a good vibe in favor of the Sooners. Really? But it is it is an OU Alabama race. Those are the two teams. It will be OU or it will be Alabama. Sooner See, Crimson or Tide Crimson. And I have no idea, but I feel like how late they were to offer had had more to do with how strong they felt about him wanting to go to Alabama more than anything. But I have no idea about that. That was just kind of a hunch with with kind of the way things were, were trending with him. But uh, it's interesting. Interesting. And, I, you know, this is going to be a very difficult recruiting class for Venables. Probably the most difficult because um, – all you're going off of is like his word. Right? They haven't they haven't put anything out there on film yet. You know, you you've got to you've got to trust what they're saying. And I know that that early signing period and throughout the season, you know, they're going to be able to see what what the Sooners have to offer, but you know, by that time a lot of decisions have been made up. It happens pretty quickly, but I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. I'll tell you, it may not be a a super high ranked recruiting class, and maybe it ends up being. I I, I have no idea. I don't know. We're we're three star university now, Teddy. <laughs> well, I don't mind that. I really don't. I don't. I know they're doing their due diligence, and the guys that they're going after, like this kid, um, the Cade McIntyre kid out of Nebraska, six four two oh five athlete that. Wants to be a Sooner really bad. I Those are the guys that you want. Those are the guys that you want. You want those guys to come in and help build your culture and help build the development of the program. That's You've got to really raise the level of your across-the-board guys. It's not – you can't just – can't just have a couple of really big big time players. You got to have everyone playing at a high level, and then you sprinkle in on top of that the elite talent. And I think that's what they're aiming for, and I think they're going to get there. All right, let's hit a quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Keep hitting the text line. I see them coming in. 651 3439. We'll hit some of those next. Rush is back. Hour number three rolls on. Hanging out in studio today. 651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions text line. Let's hit the text line, shall we, Parker? Um, I saw a bunch of them pouring in there. I saw one that was uh, wanted to welcome in the newest uh, transfer portal signee that uh, the softball team uh, uh, just got from Michigan. Yes, indeed. Alex Storacco. And I, I can't wait. I I, uh, I saw some of the statistics and what one twenty one games or so. Twenty five. Um, twenty five. Uh, that's going to be gives you a little bit more experience there, um, some stability. 
And, you know, because Jordy Ball's coming off an injury, she'll be fine by uh, by next season. But, you know, also adding uh, the number one high school pitcher as well. So it's going to be awesome. Just reload. Reload, regroup, and go do it again. Probably going to be the massive favorite next season as well. On the topic of recruiting, one listener chimed in and said, Zaven Collins was a 6'3", 220 athlete playing small school ball in Oklahoma and the previous staff never even sniffed at him. Nobody's arguing how talented he is now after getting drafted in the first round. Hominy? Hominy, Oklahoma. Yeah. Eight-man football. Is that right? Yeah, that's what he played. Eight-man football. I went to a seven-on-seven camp at Hominy when I was in high school. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It was... Like our high school, there was about five or six high schools that just met up there one day over the summer and did seven on seven. First and only time I've ever been to Hominy. I couldn't even tell you where it is, frankly. I, I could not either. Huh. But that's right. Uh, there are – there's players out there. There's players out there. And there's going to be a big group of, of guys – your five stars and your your high four stars that are well developed, well coached, and sought after by everyone and well known. And those are good players. I feel like a lot of times those guys have already a lot of them have, have already gotten close to what their peak is gonna be. There's a bunch of other guys that aren't well-coached, aren't well-known, but have a ton of talent and can be developed into the type of player you need in your system. And that's what you're seeing with, with some of these guys. Give me some length. Give me some athleticism. I, I get that. You know, the McIntyre kids playing the lowest level of 11-man football in Nebraska. Who cares? Everything that you do in high school, you're not playing college football in high school. You're playing a different sport. It is not the same thing. There is, for the most part, zero carryover from high school football to college football. The way you run routes, the way you tackle, the way you block, your mechanics. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some really good high school coaches out there that do some really good things. And there, there is some carryover from those, those guys. But don't eliminate a kid because he didn't play big-time high school football somewhere. you got length. You've got athleticism. They can turn you into a player. And I like the fact that they're turning over those rocks with this staff. Circling back a little bit, one listener – and I know you have been a very ardent defender of Spencer Rattler in the past, and one listener chimed in to say, I think you're going to learn a lot about Lincoln Riley when we see Spencer Rattler play at South Carolina this year. Lincoln always had the transfer coming in, and everybody's saying, wow, look what he's done with the transfer. Now we get to see what the transfer does when he leaves and compare it to what he did when he was here. There's no question Spencer did not develop while he was here with Riley. Yeah, and I think that, there's a, oh my gosh, UConn, try some stupid pickoff play at second, just threw it into center field. 
Um, they've got Stanford down 3-2, but they're in a, a bit of a, a bind here. Got runners on second and third, no outs in the bottom of the fourth. Sorry, that caught my eye. Um, I think – I think, yes, I don't know how much Spencer Rattler developed while he was at Oklahoma. I'm not laying all of that blame on Lincoln, though. I think some of that blame falls on Spencer Rattler just for, you know, maybe seeing the guys in front of him and feeling like he's entitled to his turn as starting quarterback at Oklahoma and those things are just going to happen. I think the way things played out, are going to light a fuse under Spencer, and I do expect some good things. Here's the other part of that, though. He's going to be playing in a way more difficult conference, and he's going to be playing week in, week out against rosters for the most part that are going to be either the same or way better than his. That changes things dramatically at quarterback. But, yes, I think I think that you are going to see a lot from Spencer Rattler, and you've heard as much. You've heard Beamer say some of those things. You've heard Rattler, in his own words, say some of those things. Yeah, I think that I think development is a problem for Lincoln Riley, even at quarterback. So, yeah, I, I think that I think that text has a lot of truth to it. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up our number three next. Black Sabbath. Uh an influence as a bassist for you? Not a huge one, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But yes. I don't even know. Well, I know that... I guess he was with Ozzy, not with Black Sabbath. Metallica's bassist now... Uh, Robert Trujillo? He was with Ozzy at some point. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what... Oh, God. What was the... Uh, is it was it Zach Wild? Is that the guitarist that he had for a while? Oh, what was his name? Uh, that was with Ozzy. Oh gosh, I don't know. Oh, he was he's really. I good. know bassists, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else we got going on the text line? I know uh, I had someone tell me that Hominy's definitely eleven man, not eight man. Interesting. So um, I'm gonna have to fact check that one because I was almost certain that Zayvon Collins played eight man football in high school, but. Uh, regardless, one way or another, uh, there's a lot of, lot of funny texts about uh, Caleb Williams' foot fetish. I don't know how that came up. Yeah. Um, there's some blame to go to the, toward the O-line as well. Rattler wasn't a bad QB. The reason Caleb Williams succeeded more than Rattler was he could move when the line was just horrid and could get out of trouble with his legs. If Rattler has the time, he's shown he can make the throws and reads. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's part of why I said that you know, going to South Carolina is going to be difficult because that's it's going to be hard. You know, it, it's it's going to be hard to block those guys. Their schedule's brutal. Um, but I, I think Spencer Rattler is arm talent. I think he's better than Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is definitely a better athlete, able to do some better things running around with the football for sure. And I do think that he's going to develop some of his – his reading ability and, and throwing ability and, and some of those things. But, you know, as some people have pointed out, Lincoln, is, as a developer of talent, still, I think you could say, a little unknown. I mean, Baker was a – I don't think Baker is like a shining beacon of quarterback development. 
Baker was um, just like an all-time gamer. I don't think you pull up Baker Mayfield film and say, like, this is how you play the position. You know, it felt like he was either standing in the pocket for like 10 seconds, totally protected by an amazing offensive line, or he was just flying around making plays. So, and Kyler is just one of the greatest athletes to ever play college football. It's hard to look at him and say that, you know, he had to really rely on quarterback development to have success. He just relied on the fact that he was way more athletic than anyone else out there. And I, Spencer would have been really that only guy, the first guy that we would have had to have seen do that. And Lincoln quickly replaced him with another guy whose athleticism could get him out of trouble. So I, I, I think it, it's fair to say like, we'll have to wait and see how good Lincoln is at developing quarterbacks. I have a quick question for you before yeah. we hit the top of the hour break. One listener, Jay in Tulsa, said, the last D1 kid from Hominy before Collins was none other than OU's Scott Garl, circa 1984. And it made me think, you're famously from Fort Gibson, Oklahoma. What other D1 guys has Fort Gibson produced? If any. None before me as like scholarship guys, I think they had, had there's some guys that went to walk on. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think they had a receiver that was decently recruited a couple of years ago, but I don't know. Oh, so you're, you're the one that made it out, huh? I'm, I'm sure that there's maybe a guy or two that have had a, that have played since, but, um, as like a scholarship recruited guy, I'm not sure. It's funny to see so many. It, it, well, I shouldn't say so many because it happens sporadically. But it's fun to see guys rise from obscurity in small town Oklahoma to become nationally regarded prospects. Likely the number one prospect in the state of Oklahoma in the class of 2025 is a running back from Idabel. Really, Idabel, Oklahoma. No, Idabel's. They've had some players. There was a really good player there whenever I was in high school, Cedric Cherry, big six six linebacker. So there's there's been some dudes down there. All right, quick timeout. Final hour of the rush coming up next. Rush is back for the final hour. Teddy Lehman here, Parker Thune, hanging out in studio. Six five one three four three nine Air Comfort Solutions text line. We were talking last hour about Lincoln Riley's comments about his rosters at OU and how good they were and. You know, they never came in with better than the third best roster in the playoff. Most years they were four of four. His claim is that USC is the best spot available to build a a, a top flight roster. Do you believe that? Does anyone believe that, Teddy? I mean, you read that comment... And you can't help but wonder, does he even believe what he's saying? Because who would, realistically, who would concur with the notion that USC is the sleeping giant of college football? If there's a sleeping giant in college football right now, a team that's been down for years and years, but has the potential based on their history and based on their tradition 
to ascend to that level once again, given the right coach and the right staff and the right personnel, you're probably looking at a team like Nebraska or Miami. Yeah. Right? Not USC. USC's so interesting. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I know we talk about it a lot, Teddy, but one of the hardest things about that job is you have to make people in Los Angeles care about college football. Uh, that's the thing for me. That's the thing. You've got a massive population in California out there. There's no doubt. And USC, if they're any good, should get the pick of the litter. At least they used to. And I think as recruiting's gone more nationwide, I think recruits out there, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm assuming this, maybe I assume too much, but when they flip on TV on Saturday, if they're wanting to play college football somewhere, and they see Alabama and you know Ohio State or Wisconsin or Penn State or you know, fill in any of the these places that are totally eaten up with college football. You can't see that anywhere on the West Coast. Nowhere. It doesn't look like that anywhere. They just don't care out there. And my feeling is that if you want to play college football, yeah, it's cool. USC's right here. And there's some bells and whistles and Lincoln Riley and there's – there's some NIL stuff happening, but more than anything, you want to play football in front of a massive, packed stadium. And I ask you, Teddy, forget the rest of college football. Look at just specifically the Pac-12. What school over the next decade would you say the Pac-12 is going to run through? Because for my money, it's Oregon. Oregon 1, Utah 2. Because there are so many things that you have at Oregon that you don't have at USC. One is Nike money, and that matters. I'm not just talking about NIL, although that comes into play. I'm talking about facilities. Oregon's getting ready to make some major facilities upgrades up there. There is a lot of money going into Oregon football facilities over the next few years. And the other thing about Oregon is... People care. People care, but the culture is different with the with the coaches that they've hired. The culture is going to be massively different. Lincoln Riley is it's so weird to say of a guy from Muleshoe, Texas, West Texas, dang near New Mexico. Uh, he is he is not like the grinded out tough hard work, we win on the details. That's not who he is and how his programs operate. And unfortunately, I think that's what you're going to have to do out in the Pac-12. I think that's what you're going to have to do anywhere in order to, if we're talking about winning a championship, that's what you're going to have to do. So, I mean, I I think that they're going to win some games, but I don't know. The, The thing that I can't get over is just the massive massive population that they have out there to pluck from. And 
Like, how is there not enough to build a really good roster out there? And I know, I mean, I know the numbers just aren't there. I as far as like five stars and stuff, it, you would you would expect because of the percentage of the population that they would have a large percentage of the five stars, but that's just hasn't really been the case recently, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you've got talent in the state of California, but as I mentioned last hour, Teddy, it's all skill position guys. Yeah, all skill position guys, and it's going to Oregon or somewhere else too. Yeah, well, and one thing that Lincoln Riley has never lacked is elite skill position talent. When he brings in that class, which already includes Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback, Makai Lemon, the five-star receiver, uh, they got Rayleek Brown, five-star athlete out of the 2022 class who will play right. his freshman year at USC this season. Of course, he was formerly committed to Oklahoma until literally the day that Riley left. You're going to have playmakers on offense. But at the end of the day, playmakers only get you so far. And nobody knows that better than anybody that has watched the University of Oklahoma play football over the last five years. Right. Yeah. yeah I just pulled up the 2023 recruits in California. And they've got three five-star guys. And what do they do? They do 25, 35 star guys. How's it that work? It depends. It varies every single year. Uh, generally, the number is somewhere between 30 and 36. 30 I and 36. I think right now there are 35 in this class. And in the state of California, you've got three. That's, that's not a lot. No, it's really and two not. Of them are and, quarterbacks. and two of them are quarterbacks in Malachi Nelson and Nico Yamaleava. The other one would be Makai Lemon, correct? No. Uh, Makai Lemon, on this, I'm on the 247 Sports. They've, they've got him as a four-star. Um, Matayo. Uyunga Lele. Yeah. Yep, there you go. DJ's younger brother. Okay. Which he'll probably end up at Oregon. Edge guy, 6'4", 255. <laughs> Man. Yeah, he's a freak of an athlete. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect – I wouldn't expect that he goes to to USC, but I guess you never know. I'm getting inundated on the text line, so I need to just go ahead and apologize. Uh, it has become very clear to me, reading over the feedback that we've gotten on the text line, that Hominy is not <laughs> eight-man football. <laughs> I apologize for stating that as fact on the air. I was misin- misinformed. Uh, Hominy does indeed play 11-man football per several sources on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. There you go. Um Mule Shoe will only win at USC the only way he could win at poker, have the most chips, and stack the deck. Well, I don't know that he's going to be able to have the most chips and stack the deck. That's kind of what we're we're talking about here. Um, you know, they've got buzz right now, which is good. They better capitalize on it. And I will say that they have the schedule to capitalize on it. That schedule is very easy. Very, very easy. If they don't win 10 games with that schedule, that's a failure. Well, it's very easy, except there's a couple of opportunities to get massively exposed. Uh, Utah would be first on that list. Utah. Um, Utah, the way they play is like the Lincoln-Riley kryptonite. Um, 
hard nose, physical, great on defense, pound you with the running game, uh, and they're at Utah. But the rest of the schedule, uh, aside from the Notre Dame game late, I'll be interested to see how they do against UCLA. Um, interested to see how they do against Cal. Uh, Oregon State is better. Arizona State is better. Washington State even is better. But it's not like they're great. I mean, Washington State and Oregon State were seven and six football teams last year. Arizona State was eight and five. UCLA was eight and four. Um, all of those teams were quite a bit better than USC. USC was four and eight. But, you know, they've added a lot of good talent, but that doesn't always mean anything. Just because you try and Frankenstein a team, it doesn't always just work out like you plan. I mean, adding skill position guys is, you know, it, it looks good and it looks shiny and, you know, it's like bolting stuff onto your car. Like you put new wheels on it, but that doesn't mean it's faster, you know? So, I think they're still going to struggle on the the line of scrimmage offensively and defensively, and they're just a a depleted roster other than a handful of big-name guys that they brought in that play positions that are, you know, end up totally being reliant on on other other spots. It's not like they brought in, and I don't know exactly who all they got in the transfer portal, but they didn't bring in a bunch of offensive line and defensive line guys. No, they didn't. They brought in a few. I won't say it was a complete swing and a miss in that regard for Riley and that USC staff. They did bring in quite a few, but none of them are high-impact guys. You don't look at any of the additions they made and say, oh, yep, that guy's going to be a difference maker for USC on defense in the year 2022. Now, you can... You can say that about several offensive players, most notably Caleb Williams and Travis Dye and Mario Williams and, of course, Jordan Addison. But, again, offense only gets you so far, man. That's right. If you can't build a championship-caliber defense and consider that 2000 National Championship team that allowed two points in the National Championship game against Florida State, what are the odds, and I understand we're in a different era of college football, but what are the odds that Riley ever builds a defense at USC that can even approach that level of dominance. And the thing about that 2000 National Championship team in particular, and kind of why I bring it up, is because you hear the comments that he made about not having the best roster. Right. right, Or not having the most loaded and talented group of players uh, in the country. Nobody would have accused that 2000 Oklahoma team of being the most talented team in the country. No way. At least not on paper. No way. Now, not on paper. A lot of the players on that team ended up, you know, being uh, highly, highly respected college football players. But there were there were a handful of like on paper highly recruited uh, guys. But that's kind of what I'm talking about with. With some of the like wanting more guys that want to be at OU, and it's important to them to be there, whether they're local guys or smaller town guys that were fans. Like that means something because that team was full of Oklahoma guys that were scattered throughout, that were walk-ons or um, you know 
guys that were local that that came here on scholarship that turned into starters full of Oklahoma guys and you know I, I don't know that you could ever quantify it but there is a belief out there and I think this staff has the same belief is that it means more to those guys and that's what you want to build your team out of um, not you don't want to build your team out of well this is the best opportunity for me at this moment for this season we'll see how it goes and if it doesn't go good I'll just get in the transfer portal that's not what you want so yeah um I don't know it, it, I'm I'm fascinated to see how it goes for Lincoln out there and again I think the the Pac-12 is so bad that you feel like they're going to win some games but like w- looking at that that schedule Rice, Stanford, Fresno, Oregon State. Like, they don't play – the only name that they play is Notre Dame late in the year, the last game of the season. The rest are – they don't play Oregon. They're just Pac-12 teams that none of them have been in any type of contention at all, most of them ever – and some of them, it's been a decade. Like Stanford, it's been a decade. Um, I, I, Washington State made a Rose Bowl a billion years ago. Um, Colorado, you know, relevant a long, long time ago. No one's been relevant recently at all. So there's no names that, that jump out at you on that list. Now, Utah's a great football team. They're, I think they're an awesome football team. But you're not going to get any national, like, wow, you beat Utah. That just doesn't not going to grab anyone's attention. So, no. if you look at this schedule, and they go six and six, like that has to be taken nationally by everyone as a disaster, doesn't it? Even if it is his first year, there's a chance, Teddy that this season goes completely sideways. And I'm not saying it happens. I'm not saying I expect it to happen. But think about this. There are parallels between this USC team this year and Texas last year. New, young, exciting head coach, quarterback with a lot of hype. People forget that was Hudson Card, not Casey Thompson, that was getting a lot of the preseason hype. Some nice transfer additions a running back regarded as one of the nation's best, and that brand that, though you may not have been relevant in years or decades, it still carries some sway nationally such that it's almost like the media wants you to be good, and so they try to shoehorn you into that narrative to make people believe that somehow, if, if we talk ourselves into them being good, maybe they'll be good. And so, I'm not saying USC goes five and seven, but that's not off the table. Yeah, especially well, if that defense falls apart. Here's the thing: the good thing for Lincoln Riley right now is that ESPN has bent over backwards to to like try and prop up him and prop up USC, giving them all times of all time uh, all kinds of airtime. And that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing 
because everyone's going to be watching, right? And everyone's going to be watching. If you're not any good, guess who's also watching the recruits? And, you know, it's obvious. ESPN, it's not like they love USC or they love Lincoln Riley. There's like, I don't know, 100 million people on the West Coast. That's what they want. They want, because that, Currently, that segment of the population doesn't watch college football at all. That's what they're trying to say. Like, if we can have any growth in college football, it's re-engaging California and the West Coast and getting those people back in to college football. That's how we can move our numbers. That's why they're cheerleading this thing. It's not like they have some motive for USC or for Lincoln Riley. All it is is trying to drive that engagement out there to – you know, to, to do better numbers and do better ratings. That's, uh, that's it. One more quick text before we hit a break. I uh, want to see if you agree with this from the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Don't sleep on the USC-Stanford game. David Shaw will slow that thing down to a crawl, and it will play out exactly like last year's West Virginia game. David Shaw from six years ago and Stanford from six years ago, I, I would believe you. But they haven't they haven't been able to do that in a long time. I'm looking at their numbers from last year. Their high rusher, one time the entire season, they had their high rusher go over 100 yards. Their high rusher against Kansas State last year in the opener was 25 yards. Kansas State pummeled Stanford last year 24-7. Um. I just, I hear you. They did that to Oregon. They they took Oregon to overtime. Maybe they've got something up their sleeve, but it'd be hard for me to to predict that right now. But I do know that what David Shaw has typically done is not the way Lincoln Riley wants to play. He wants to play an up-tempo, fast game that's moving up and down the field in a shootout. And that's not typically how David Shaw and Stanford have played. If they can, if they can lull USC into that type of game, which maybe they can, as as bad as USC is on the lines of scrimmage, maybe they'll be able to do that and have some success doing that. But I don't know. I know Utah will be able to do that for sure. So, all right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on next. Rush is back. Final hour. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune hanging out in studio today. 651-3439. Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, Man, we were hoping, or I was hoping, that Stanford maybe was going to get knocked off by UConn to where the one and the two seed, Tennessee and Stanford, would be out. But Not happening. Yeah, Stanford hit a grand slam. They're up now 9-3 on UConn in the bottom of five. So... Yeah, going to be tough for UConn to squeak that one out. Man, that's rough. Would have been fun to see a team from the Northeast to make the College World Series because that just doesn't happen. Uh, uh, yeah, the perennial I, I powerhouses that's... in college baseball are either in the South or they're out on the West Coast. Yeah, I guess that is interesting. Hmm. Is yeah, UConn is. Are they the only one that's even? I guess Virginia Tech is. What are they considered geographically? I, I Virginia? Don't know. Is the breakover like the Virginia Maryland line? I for I, being I, northeast. I, 
I'm not sure, man. Like, that's a, that's a great question because you have the Midwest, right, and you have the Southeast, and then you have, like, the great smoky Appalachian region, and then you have the actual Northeast. Virginia really doesn't fit in any of those categories. Right. Huh. I don't know how to classify it. Uh, Virginia Tech is north of Oklahoma and east of Oklahoma, so they're northeast in my opinion. That's how I settled that deal. <laughs> Everything's relative to Oklahoma. I right? don't think they're northeast. I th- I think the Virginia Maryland line is is kind of like the the breakover because West Virginia, like Phil, uh, Pennsylvania, the southern line of Pennsylvania, extended through Maryland. I think the technical term is mid-Atlantic, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of just like, what does mid-Atlantic mean? Well, yeah, it's a fine term, but it breaks the country up into way too many regions. Mid-Atlantic does not count. You're either northeast or southeast, okay? <laughs> That's how. The way I think about it is eastern time zone, central time zone, right. mountain time zone. Pacific time zone. Exactly. Which they're even trying to uh, mess. Are you uh, are you on board with the uh, daylight savings being taken away? I think we talked about this the last time <laughs> we did the rush together. Yes. Yeah, so this I, is- I just brought that up because I just saw a something else on it for whatever reason come across the timeline a few minutes ago. So the state of Arizona does not do daylight savings time. Yeah. I have an aunt and uncle and cousins that live in Arizona. And so that's the only reason I know this, because I really don't have any reason to spend time in the state of Arizona otherwise. But that is the one state in the union that does not observe daylight savings time. Well, it's fine for them because it's summer year-round. I, for us, I, I want the I want the hours extended during the time of the year whenever it's nice to be outside and you do things outside i don't want the light to be the same whenever it's 20 degrees i mean let's let's grind through a miserable winter and then let's take the best of the opportunity whenever spring rolls around and summer rolls around but i don't know nonetheless um probably going to continue it's hard to get anything done right now in government um who do you think – you know, we mentioned earlier, like the Kendall Pettis for the baseball team, uh, Lou Donahue last year for softball. Gosh, who would you say was this year for softball? I mean, Jada Coleman was big in the in the championship series. That's the thing is, like, I, I compared it to – the way that I phrased it, I think, on Friday when we were recapping OU softball's dominant sweep of Texas was – it, it wasn't one player that beat you this time around for Oklahoma. And they're capable of beating you with one mm-hmm. player, but you take Jocelyn Allo and Tiari Jennings out of the picture, Oklahoma still wins both those games against Texas by a run rule margin. It's more like death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Like everybody just chips in and to I, pummel you. And I think that they were such a dominant team that you maybe didn't really have to have one of those players step up this year into that type of situation. You did last year whenever, uh, what, you lost the first game. Oh, was it the opening game that they lost to, yeah, to James, James Madison? Madison. Um, I thought last year's field, and this is this is the football guy. Everyone may point at me and say that's, that's stupid, but 
I feel like last year's field was deeper and better, and maybe Oklahoma wasn't as good. Uh, maybe that's a factor in that as well. But I don't. I didn't think that they needed like they're such an overwhelming favorite this year that they probably didn't have to have that. But who's the guy on the football team that could we we hit on running back, and then we kind of veered off. Is there anyone else that you think could fill that role? Maybe defensively. I mentioned Stripling, and then we started talking about running back. Like, they're going to have to have a guy defensively. That, Ethan Downs. Yeah. To me, it's Ethan Downs. Yeah. Because if he validates the hype, and I have heard so many good things about that kid throughout the spring and on into the summer with regard to his development, the way that he's embraced the new regime and the workout regimen under Schmitty, all of it. And you saw his potential last year. He was the only two f- true freshman that played all 13 games for Oklahoma. So you saw the motor. You saw him make a couple of plays that were just, I mean, at risk of being cliche, football guy plays. Right. Where he just doesn't give up on the play until the whistle blows. And no matter where he's out on the field, he's hustling to the football. Those types of plays are what Ethan Downs became known for, I would say his freshman year at Oklahoma in the limited playing time that he did get, I think he moves into a starting role, a full-time starting role, this fall for the Sooners. And I fully expect, man, that that kid's going to explode. And I don't necessarily know what that looks like. That's that's the only thing for me. Does it look like six or seven sacks? Because historically, in most years, that would have been good enough for a top-three figure on the team. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have led the team in 2019 because uh, Jalen Redmond led the team that year with six and a half sacks. But does it look like double digit sacks? I I think that I think there's a good chance with Ethan Downs. I I don't know statistically what his year looks like, but having been a sophomore uh, that that played uh, a decent amount as a freshman. I think the second half of this season is whenever he's going to really take off. Uh, and, and it may be because you just got to continue to build that experience. Like, he's got all the tools. He just just has to continue to, to work on them, develop uh, some of the fundamentals, get the feeling of, of what it is to be like a natural pass rusher and, and use his size and strength. And that stuff, it just takes time. And I think by the second half of the season, he'll look like a different player than he did the first half of the season. So, which leads him into into having a great junior campaign. But I think he could be one of those guys, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the first guy on the list for me when you're talking about defensive guys that could emerge to be that player for Oklahoma. I think, uh, I think, I think Stutzman has a chance. Yeah, I think, I think my expectations for Stutzman have almost gotten too high. Like, I, I don't necessarily put him in that category just because I think everybody has come to agree that, okay, he's going to start at linebacker and he's probably going to lead the team in tackles because he's just that good. Yeah. I, I've spoken to several people, Teddy, close to the program that have told me Stutzman might be the best player on the entire team. Well, you're not talking about right now, are you? I'm talking about come this fall. Like, he might be the most impactful player on the entire team. Hmm. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of competition in that regard because I expect Marvin Mims to have a big year. Um, Dylan Gabriel. It's as, different. Uh, it's, yeah. 
it's hard to weigh those two against each other. Yeah. Because a wide receiver makes the noticeable plays, but when you're playing good as a, a defensive player, especially at, the, at an inside backer, like a lot of those things don't even show up in statistics, right? Uh, more of it is about getting everyone lined up, knowing what's happening, making the right adjustments and checks, um, making the plays that you're supposed to. Um, you know, I, it, it's it's much harder. But, you know, Venables has, has often had guys that make like, – I don't know what Skalski's statistics were at Clemson. But if you talk to anyone that covered those teams, um, watch those teams on film, like, there's no doubt – who the leader of that football team was. It's not even in question. And you know, and that's the guy they're studying right now. When they're watching their defense and how it's supposed to be uh run, when they're they're breaking things down, they're watching him and how he handles himself and how he gets everyone lined up and how he's always in the exact place that he's supposed to be. And like if that rubs off and Stutzman turns into that type of guy, and I think he's got the chance. The thing is, is he's got more raw potential, I think, than Skalski does. Just because Agreed. of the way he can run, and he's got some length to him. Probably 6'3", he's got some long arms, got range as a as an inside uh, coverage player. So I, I think there's definite potential in that. It's going to be a while, because Venables is going to break him down like to nothing, and then slowly build it back up. And I think that he's going to be kind of on the same trajectory as an Ethan Downs. First half of the year, be out there, be fine, make some plays, but it's not like you're not going to walk away from from each game saying, boy, you know, what an impact. But by the end of the season, that's probably going to be something that you start to notice. It's like, wow, this guy's totally different. He's vocal. He's loud. He's he's concise. He gets everyone in the right spot. He's all he's always in the right spot himself. I think that will that will start to happen in the second half. I I think the the sky's the limit for him. Which uh, it just had nose surgery. Nose? Surgery? Yeah, he fixed his. He had that broken nose. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Maybe that's 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 going to be the missing link. That's it right I feel, there. I, I feel like he would have been arguably more intimidating just with a broken nose, just like with a crooked nose. Yeah. But hey, I understand it. Yeah. You know, if he, he's kind of a ladies' man too. So can't blame him for that. Yeah. All right. Quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Couple of segments left. Stay tuned. Rush is back. Couple of segments left on a Monday after a long vacation. When did you leave for Vegas? I left Wednesday afternoon after the shows, so but uh-huh. I was on remote Thursday and Friday. So, oh, so you did the show from Vegas? I did. Well, I did Thursday's show from Albuquerque. <laughs> nice. And I did Friday's show from Vegas. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Nice, nice. That's uh, that's not as bad then. Um, for me, it has been got like ten days. I believe since I've done radio, well, you, you don't do Fridays, right? Not don't not do these Fridays. Days, so eleven days. Eleven days. Uh, it's been a while. 
So uh, today was nice, though. Four hours back in the seat was good. Um, I Again, the Disney World isn't necessarily a vacation, but uh, it was a break from radio. So recharge the batteries a bit. A uh, text line from one of our listeners from the 913 says, Listening to you guys six beers deep poolside. Keep up the great work. Wow, that sounds awesome. Six beers deep poolside. Today is a pool day. Super hot here. I played in a golf tournament this morning, and it was just scorching hot outside. And I think it's going to be like that all week. It's probably going to be like that the rest of the summer. Six beers deep poolside sounds fantastic. If you were at Disney World, you would be about $150 in, I believe. Six beers. Which, I got to say, part of the best time we were there was whenever we were done with the parks and we'd go to the pool later in the afternoon. That was the most enjoyable for me. A vacation for me is to sit by the pool or by the beach and do nothing. That's what I would prefer. That's what vacation should be. Mm-hmm. It's just sitting, whether it's on a beach or beneath the mountains or whatever your picturesque nature setting of choice Picking is. Picking wild just doing raspberries. Nothing. Uh, when are you heading to Omaha? Well, I guess Friday morning. Yeah. Because, yeah. Six so hour I, drive? About a six hour drive. Yeah. Not too bad. So. Uh, hopeful, what I'm hoping is that Oklahoma gets the evening game on Friday. I heard Toby speculating about that since Tennessee got knocked out that maybe uh, A&M Oklahoma could pop into that primetime spot, but I don't know. You think that's kind of what the the feeling is perhaps? I, I don't know, and like I, like I was saying earlier in the show, I don't think we'll know for sure until the field is set, which will be later tonight, as soon as that Auburn-Oregon State game is completed. Um, that is when your final field will be set, and that's probably when the matchups will be finalized as far as time. But I'm hoping that Oklahoma gets the evening game on Friday because that way we can just be on air 2-6 to six here and then be able to go – uh, get coverage of the game, which should I, I want to say first pitch generally for those Friday night games is about seven oh five. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah. Have you now? When did you say the last time you went to twenty nineteen? Twenty nineteen and yeah. covered it. Um, like the locals there, it's a big deal for the locals, right? Yes, it is. Well, it's not just the fan bases from the teams coming in. There's a lot of locals there that that go and. You kind of hang out, take it all in. Is there is there a lot going on downtown for it? Yeah, there is. There's quite a bit. I mean, really, the entire week, week and a half that the College World Series is going on, that's all anybody is concerned about. That's what all the downtown businesses are catering to, and so it's it's an ordeal and it's an event, particularly for those fan bases like Arkansas and LSU that just will yeah. travel anywhere to watch their team in just any take sport. Take over so, every town, dude. I th- th- that's one thing is like. I, I know a lot of people from Arkansas. I'm not trying to diss on Arkansas. The Razorback fans, man, they get real insufferable real quick with calling the Hawks because they'll be doing it multiple times in inning. So this says it holds uh, 24,000 but expands to 35,000? Yes. Is, is the expansion, is that during the baseball? Yes. So it'll hold 35,000 for the CWS. Awesome. 
That'll be cool. You going to come up? Unfortunately, no. <sighs> I will not uh, be going up to Omaha, but I wish I wish I could go up there and and uh, I told Toby I was like, man. Don't you need like a spotter or something? Can I can I hang out? Come, come I, up there say, and- I, t- I texted Toby yesterday. I was like, hey, if you need a color guy this weekend, I'm available. He hasn't texted me back, so that's cool. He's that's that's T Row. He's he's a one man show. Yeah, I'll give it to him. That's the big big time uh, T Row. But no, it's going to be awesome. That's going to be cool that you're going to be up there covering it. And I'm anxious to see how many Sooner fans make that trip because I you didn't know until what. Uh, Sunday that it's happening and it's on you quick and sometimes it's not easy to travel and it's definitely not cheap to travel right now so hopefully we get a big crew that goes up there and supports these guys it's a great week for my home state with regard to sooner dumb yeah you gotta you gotta get a commit, commit. from the state of Nebraska going to the college world series hey in September get to go back up to Lincoln to watch that's going to be the rivalry renewed. Oh, that'll be a fun game. I'm excited about that. That will be a very fun game. I haven't been there since 2001, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap the day up next. Stay with us. Gosh, that commercial got me so juiced for I this know. weekend. I know that's it. my childhood, man. It's awesome. I, uh, I, I, I can't wait. I've I've been sucked in by the uh, the diamond sports over the last couple of months. Baseball's been so fun to watch the team grow and get better and build and build. And here they are going to Omaha. This is exactly what they need because you know, frankly, baseball facilities and really performance wise has been lagging behind the pack in in recent years and. When you go to the SEC, as you mentioned, what, potentially six SEC or soon-to-be yes. SEC schools yes, going to six. Uh, the, the final eight in, in the World Series, uh, you're about to get into a different animal when it comes to baseball, and this is going to provide a nice little boost for them. Man, and that's the biggest thing for me, too, is what kind of reverberation, what kind of impact is this going to have on the baseball facilities at Oklahoma because you look at even just across the Big 12 yeah. at the teams that they're going toe-to-toe with on an annual basis, Oklahoma's facilities are not what they should be. And a season like this and a run like this, particularly if you can punctuate it with a national title, Teddy, because I that would be incredible. And they've already allocated, you know, that – that last deal that went in front of the Board of Regents, they've already allocated. I, I don't remember the exact number for baseball, but you go win a national championship, I guarantee that you that, that number gets bigger. Awesome Man, stuff. It is, it's going to be fun because I think the thing about this team is that we're not talking about a Stony Brook going to Omaha in 2012, for That's instance. Right. That was one of the greatest Cinderella stories in the history of college baseball, but you knew as soon as they got there – they were going to fold. That right. was just not a team that had the firepower to go and win a national championship. Oklahoma has the the resources and expectations to be able to build on this and build yes. on it big time. So good if they stuff. can win it, man, and they can win it, what a boon it's going to be for Skip Johnson in this program. Totally agree. All right, that's it for us. It was a fun day. We appreciate you guys. You killed it on the text line. You drive the show. We're just along for the ride. Thank you to Pacifico. Go have a cold one.